Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my new friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Wednesday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, another great edition of Sandos and the Sidekick. We'll hear from Comets head coach Steve Forbes. We'll break down the game against the Citadel, the SoCon opener for the men's team, and we'll talk a huge Power 5 team coming into Brooks Gym, the Wake Forest team and Deacons, and head coach Brittany Zell will welcome them as a guest on Thursday. And then, of course, uh, well, I don't know what, of course. Uh, normally, we do a top 25. Uh, you've told me there's a monkey wrench. Well, yeah, let's uh, save it. Let's save it until the final segment, even though okay. if you look on social media, you can definitely find out what exactly is going on. I still think it's fun to maintain the mystery, even though it's not really a mystery if you do know how to read, which sometimes you and me do not know how to do. I don't. Is spelling the part of the equation, too? Uh, ooh, that's a good idea. Jay Sando spells big ooh. words is a ooh. great <laughs> segment idea. No, no, no. Wow. Uh, I've often thought another idea would be you give me the word, I have to spell it and give a definition. And give a definition. Yeah, I can I use better. it in a sentence? No, I cannot. You have to use it in a sentence, Jay. Yeah, I like that. I just need to know the origin of the word, and I'll be fine. We need to bring in, like, kids that are good at spelling and oh, see if you can keep up with them. Like a reverse be... spelling bee. I, I will work on that. Okay. I think I can get that done. Fantastic. I'm the only person in America that loves to make fun of themselves. I have no idea why. You're the All only right. person in America that likes to do that? Oh, man. You that makes fun of themselves? You're the, the only person? The I do? Only person ever. Wow. Okay. Ever. There's nobody else. You created it. There is nobody else whose ego in the media that says, you know what? Let's bring in kids to make me look stupid. Me? I'm like, oh, yeah, let's go. That's beautiful. You created making podcast. fun of yourself. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm going to cut that mind. out and use that later. <laughs> I don't mind. All right, let's uh, – speaking of making fun of themselves, Steve Forbes does a lot sometimes. Pretty much led from start to finish in the games at home the week before. And so when we did get down, we showed great toughness, great resiliency to come back. We made some tough shots. We grinded that thing out. And I know a lot of people weren't there because they didn't have a great crowd. That's a really nice place to play. I think Daryl Walker is a really good basketball coach. And you and I got a chance to go hang out with Daryl after the game. And he talked a lot about his time in the NBA and playing with MJ and – he was a head NBA coach, and then he went back and coached NEI, and now he's coached Division One. I. I got a ton of respect for him. He's a, he's a good guy. Before we talk about that bite, that was from the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday night, remember now, Monday night from Wildwind Cafe, 6 p.m., Jay Sando, Steve Forbes. And next week it's actually going to be Brittany Azell. was able to talk to her today, and she said she is indeed coming to the show on Monday, December 9th. So that's the next time you can catch ETSU Radio Coaches Show on the Buccaneer Sports Network from 6 to 7, Monday nights. Very eclectic coaches show last night. It included some Nigerian princes. Also, Uber rides and yeah. talks with former people yeah. to play with Michael Jordan, including Daryl Walker. Yeah, and I think the uh, in ranking that the most surprising would have been the, Nigerian Prince. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, I don't know. If, you know, I finished. Re- did you see all the twenty-seven things they needed me to do? Like you should go back and read that. It's so we went over it in the office today, and uh, it was phenomenal. There's a little something for everybody. There was. It was. It's still on the comments on Facebook if you want to go back and look and at that's it. That's what I'm saying. If you go back, the Coach Show archived on Facebook, you go back to Monday's show uh, a couple of days ago, and, and you can read it. It's well worth it. it it's, you know, seven minutes of your day. It's not a, it doesn't take that long. Maybe not even seven minutes. I read slow. Point being why I included that soundbite is because he talked about something, did Coach Forbes, that we talked about on Monday when it came to the team falling behind after giving up a lead. That's not something that they had done in the previous couple of games where they maybe didn't put a team away, but they hadn't fallen behind. And Coach Forbes, much like you and I talked about on Monday, very happy with the fact that in that situation, a different one than they had been in, they were able to respond in the correct way and go and get that W, even though they were down seven at one point in the second half. I, I think basically it just proves that he gets his material from Santa's sidekick. He has told now me Now we he know listens. he listens. So yes. That's right. He listens. He knew exactly what he needed to come correct with. But I, I think it's all valid. You can easily look at, you know, okay, we've been giving up leads. Uh, speaking as if I'm Coach Forbes, but we've given up leads, but we're able to still finish. 
what happens when you finally somebody gets over the hill or the hump or however you want to word it, takes the lead. Do you have enough fortitude to come back down seven, what, six and a half, something like that to go, and ETSU was able to do that. And not only that, they, they did it hitting big shots, but defense and rebounding. I think that's the big thing. And overall, they didn't particularly play great defense the whole 40 minutes, and they certainly didn't rebound spectacular during that contest. But when they needed to, they were able to put the clamps down, make enough stops, and make enough shots. Uh, and, again, we talked about it 10 to 12 from the free throw line as well. So I think that that was good. The uh, Uber rod was phenomenal because just uh, just a break, very quick story. Just We got in the uh, uh, Uber, I almost said cab, got in the Uber, and the guy just asked, you know, hey, what do you do? And we tell him, he saw, he saw I should have gone to the game. You know, and he says, can I give you any suggestions around here? Coach Forbes says, no, I played at Southern Utah. Yada, yada. They go back and forth on that. Then he goes, oh, my son's the AD. That His son actually flew Coach Forbes out two years ago to be inducted in the Hall of Fame. He knew his son's birthday. Not only his name, knew his birthday was the day before. It kind of derailed the whole Uber ride. I think we got lost for a minute because they were just going back and forth. So it, it was interesting. And then the Daryl Walker stories, I could, for two hours – the man held court, and I mean, he's tell- first of all, he coached with, uh, played and coached with Chuck Daly. You know, he was telling stories, obviously, in '93 when he was on the Bulls team that that won the championship, and he's got he, a ring. He, he he got on a plane. Yes, he does. He got on a plane one time when he first got into coaching, and Phil Jackson, who coached him, said, "Hey, come come on my plane." Asked me when he first got the Toronto Raptors head coaching job, and he asked Phil Jackson about the triangle offense. And Phil just kind of stopped him in his tracks and pointed to his chest and said, I am the triangle offense. <laughs> That'll do it. So that was all the conversation we had on the triangle offense. But he, he talked you know, a little bit of time he spent with Pat Riley, uh, getting to pick his brain. He worked for Mike Woodson, loves Mike Woodson. He was with the Knicks. Talked about when he, when he had – so these are the guys he coached. So I could talk about all the guys he played with because he was in Detroit in the bad boy era with, with Chuck Daly and all that. But he coached Carmelo Anthony in New York. He was also in Atlanta when they had the trade where they got um, Allen Iverson uh, and, and in Detroit. So he ended up having Rip Hamilton, Allen Iverson, Ben Wallace on the same team. And so he told it it was it was really great. And I, I want to see next year they're coming back up here. I bet I could get him on the podcast for at least 15, 20 minutes. Need it. Would, it would be phenomenal. We, we need it would that. be great. It would be great. Did team. he also coach Jordan in Washington in 2000, or was that one year before Jordan came back with Washington? Mm. Uh, I'd, I'd have if to he didn't bring up it up, him. I'm sure it probably wasn't a thing. No, he, I don't like think he, was... he. I don't. He did not bring that up. All those Jordan stories in '93. If I, I'll give one more quick Jordan story, he said there was one game where everyone always jokes about. Well, really, did you do coaching if you had Michael Jordan? You know, is it really right? And said it was a it was a regular season game, and Coach Jackson gets the stat sheet like everybody does, and he's he's using words we can't say on the air. And, you know, slapping the stat sheet, does whatever, and the guys are bickering back and forth. They've not been doing what they're supposed to be doing. Phil tells everybody in a very nice, eloquent way to, to be quiet, I'm sure. <laughs> and then basically everybody stops and looks at him, and he says, all right, here's what we're going to do. MJ, where do you want the ball? <laughs> and MJ pointed on the clipboard and said, I want it on this elbow. He goes, all right. Then it takes about five seconds, draws up a play, and goes, this is what we're doing. MJ had shot one a game. Great coach. So was it that easy? I don't know. He had to drop a play, Mike. It's not that easy. Just don't give it to MJ the ball. He had it on that. Okay. Back to the box. Well, last year we were six and two at this time. We opened up with two losses at Georgia State and Creighton. Obviously, right now we're seven and one. I did look it up today. It's funny you asked that question. Actually, we're averaging about the same amount of points. Seventy-six. I think maybe we were averaging a little bit more last year. Sixty-four given up. About the same. We are shooting the ball about the same 47, 48% from the field as a team. Our offensive efficiency on Kempom, if, everybody, if anybody wants to look at that, is 40th in the country. And that, if you look at mid-major teams, we're number three in the country. So our, our offense is about the same. Defensive field goal percentage is about the same, 42, 41%. Where it changes a little bit is in the three-point field goal defense, where last year we're actually guarding the three-point line better, four percentage points better right now. And if you look at the end of the year, 10 percentage points better. So to take it a little further, uh, you look at the, the – again, he mentioned it, 7-1 to 6-2 and two ETSU shot, and I'll slow that down for you, kind of route them off. But 47% this season, it was right there, about 48% last season. The Bucks had 72 trays this year, 66 a year ago. The assists, 117 compared to 126. You look at it, and it's really the, the defense. They're plus six in steals. They've got 12 more block shots this year. 
the uh, 11.8 uh, scoring margin, so they've been able to, to kind of finish late. Now, last year's team was was not able to, to do so as well. Uh, but I think that the biggest thing he talked about, they're holding teams to under 30% beyond the arc compared to 33% last year. Rebounding was plus uh, five this year. Last year they were a ridiculous plus 16. So maybe that, you know, but Rodriguez has not been healthy. He's coming off that surgery from the offseason. He's trying to get back in there. I think that's a main reason. Plus, let's, let's be honest, Milad and Armas was a guy Good rebound. that could go up and get 10 boards a game. So I think maybe that's the – the biggest difference and talking about some individual Trey Boyd made 20 uh, trays through the first eight games uh, that was the same number he made last year at that point Patrick Good shot 38 percent from beyond the arc this year he was at 39 last year Damian Williamson 33 points 11 assists in the first 11 games a year ago this year 80 points 26 assists so you're seeing his maturation process but the numbers aren't that out of whack year to year except for some of the defensive numbers and you can remember last year ETSU was dealing with Bo Hodges coming off an injury early in the season so they're doing that with Jerome Rodriguez this year it's just incredible to see what Bo Hodges can do with a full offseason trip to Europe everything behind him that he's had and coming into the season healthy versus last year where he was always kind of playing catch-up, right? And he was still an all-conference player, which was incredibly impressive, but shooting 56% and from outside 35% and six rebounds a game. We know he's going to have the blocks and the steals. He's tied for the block lead. He's right there in steals, too, tied for second. So it's kind of strange how the two seasons do parallel each other right now with Hodges being the one healthy, but Rodriguez is down this year where last year was the opposite. And like you said, statistically, that reflects that because ETSU is pounding the glass. What's Jeromey Rodriguez so good at? Going and get, getting the boards. What do you have, 15 double-doubles last year? So with him not as healthy early on in the season, the rebounding numbers expected to slip a bit, especially with no Milad and Armas. And with how Lucas Gusan is playing, a little bit more all over the floor. Now he's not a stretch five. You wouldn't classify him like that. But he's not as rabid of a rebounder, say, as a Milad and Armas. But he can do more things than Milad and Armas did. Certainly skilled uh, on the offensive end. I, th- I think that's the best way to word that and for Rodriguez you know he was the only guy last year at the end of the year that averaged a double double I think he was first or second I think he was second I think he was second in double doubles uh in all of NCAA so uh there's a lot of things you're certainly missing there now things are, are spread out a little more because there's not necessarily it was if you go back and look at it though through those first eight games it was only Rodriguez and Armas really getting rebounds now you're starting to see other guys get rebounds so for an example if you add you know, sort of Goussaint, Hughley, you add, um, uh, and I'm not even going to count Corley in this situation, but Vonnie Patterson, you add their rebound totals up, and there's just more guys doing it. I, I think that's maybe maybe the, the difference. And the truth is the possessions have been just a little different this year than last year. There were a lot of misses right around the rim offensively, and there are this year, but ETSU was able to get offensive rebounds and putbacks. So it was almost like they get two or three shots on the same trip, a couple extra rebounds, were able to put it to go. So... And some of the teams they've played have not necessarily been teams of up-tempo, so I'm curious to see how maybe uh, how that plays out one way or another. But clearly the Bucks 7-1. That does tie. Last night I think I said 8-1, and one, and I I'd counted an exhibition game that was not labeled as an exhibition game I found out later was an exhibition game. So 7-1 does match what Coach Forbes did the year they went to the tournament in 16-17. Let's talk Citadel. We're out for this time out. Santa Sidekick, Buccaneer, Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sanders and a sidekick back with you. I'm on my way. Well, we'll be here in just a few minutes down to Charleston, South Carolina. It's the Bucks and the Bulldogs. Coach Forbes. Caden Rice is back. He's playing really well. Can really shoot it from deep. Um, believe it or not, they've got a player on their team named Fletcher Abiel. He's a freshman. He's a really good player for a freshman. Not a lot of size. Going to play fast. Going to shoot threes. Um, Going to mix up the defenses. Zone, man, press, all that stuff. Boxing one, triangle two, zone, man. Full-court pressure, three-quarter court pressure, one-three-one, all that. We'll be ready. And Where's the three-I? We need to go down there and 
get a win. And it's the fourth time in five years since I've been here we started on the road in league play. So I guess um, I don't know why. Last year the first game of this conference wasn't very good because I got tossed. So hopefully we'll all go down there and behave better. Let's certainly hope that Coach Forbes does not get tossed this time around. Things will have gone extremely pear-shaped if he does get tossed. Well, if he does get tossed, is he even making the flight to Fargo? Is that his game plan? Mm. Does he get tossed? Doesn't have to go to Fargo. Can sit in the 62-degree weather of Charleston and smoke some stogies on the back. See, I Uh, think Steve Forbes is a pretty smart guy, and that's a pretty smart decision, I think. I mean, he's smarter than us. I think that would be. um, I know you really want to talk about Fletcher a B. (laughs) That's what you're hung up on. I had that – staggered me when i saw the name to begin with uh and then i had to look up the pronunciation is it a b it, it is <laughs> oh wow it's uh abi abi uh, okay yeah, i think it's abi it's okay. a, they have a a it's weird they have a capital a with like a lowercase e slash b e e so i don't even know what that is how would you say that i b I, that's what i'm i'm gonna ask when i get A-B? down there so, sometimes guys <laughs> i think go out of control with the pronunciation yes. guide like if it's abi just how hard is it to spell something phonetically? Like, I don't know, like A-H-A-B? Was you not? Someone once asked okay. me how to spell sun phonetically. Sun? Go ahead. S-U-N? <laughs> You'd think so. That's but you see it a lot of different ways. Could go S-O-N. Or S-O-N. Okay. okay. But if you're phonetic, well, here's my rule on phonetic, because you know me. I don't know the English language at all. So that people will look at my phonetic and go, what is that? And I said, it, it makes sense to me. To you, Leave yeah, me right. alone. Like, like, but people I need that are writing an right. impartial Right, and I've always been media. amazed because they will write the weird. Anyways, I got sidetracked, but he has, Let's I, just call I, him a B because let, it's fun. Okay, we'll do that. Uh, but he's averaging almost 12 points a game, but the, the big thing is he's got 18 threes. He's shooting four or made threes, 44% from beyond the arc. I mean, let's be honest. That's what Citadel does. They've taken 186 threes. They've hit 67. I mean, that's a 36% clip, and considering they're taking that many, I think you know that's sort of the realm of where they want to live. You know, They're not going to get to the free throw line a lot. Uh, but they are going to sit back there and fire. They've got, let's see, double digits attempts. Six guys already double digit attempts. So, you know, they're, they're going to fire at will. Uh, and they've got just taking an attempt. They've got 12 guys that have at least taken one three. Uh, so that may be garbage time, all this other stuff. But still, everybody on the roster is pretty much willing to take three. And I think that's the genius of the roster so far is that they've created it to where if they need to go small, they can. In games, they need to go big. They can go big. And so I think this will be a challenge for early. Do the two big guys from ETSU dominate and make Citadel just? Or if things aren't going their way, does Coach Forbes do something where Vonnie Patterson's the new five man? Bo Hodges is your four. That's the beauty of this roster is that it's flexible. So you can do pretty much anything you want to do. And it's not a game I don't think you're likely to see the quote-unquote twin towers that have been so much discussed by fans and by us here on Santos and the sidekick. But I 100% agree. I think it's something where if a game does go one way or another, ETSU is going to be able to adapt. I'm really interested to see if Hayden Brown's going to play. I know that he played the first four games. Their leading score is 16 points per game. Hasn't played since November 19th. They think, and I haven't seen an update on this, but they think in Charleston it was a hamstring sprain or strain not a complete tear and so they didn't remove his hammy they they did not remove his hammy uh, and it was not a hammet um Mm. so they only ruled him out for the last couple of games that they were on the road uh citadel so the fact that he may be back they were at the illinois classic and uh played three three games there so the fact that he may be back uh, is very interesting to me and would give them kind of another dynamic. They kept it close with Georgia. They cut it to two midway through the final 20 minutes before losing by nine. Overall, they're three and four, but they have played some quality competition, including a team the Bucks played last year, uh, Illinois, on the road as well, and that meant went much the way it did for ETSU. Lost by uh, 28, did Citadel. But Hayden Brown playing is a big one. I think you got to watch a B from outside, and also Rudy Fitzgibbons is a shooter mm-hmm. that's shooting a high percent, and Batiste is really the distributor. He's got six assists per game, so he's finding some of those shooters, playmaking Tyson Batiste, and it's just a totally different team from last year, really. He's one of the few guys that has not hit a three. He's 0 for 5 this year, uh, but that, that doesn't seem to be his game, and they need a distributor. That's sort of how uh, Coach um, uh, Dugerbacham's system works is sort of, you know, one guy's going to run the show, do whatever. They've got three grad transfers, and so they figure that out. So at Citadel, unlike VMI, you can take online classes. You don't have to do any military stuff. You can live off campus. So for the Citadel, they've figured that out and they've done a good job getting grad transfers. So they're going to 
try to rework the roster, I think, pretty much about every year with some grad transfers because they can sell them on, look, you can live in Charleston. You can live off campus. You don't do any of the military stuff. Take some online classes, show up to practice, and uh, you can play. And so, and do it for one year. So they're able to do that. The other thing I think I'd sell them on is if you did get your master's degree from there, the Citadel people love to hire Citadel people. Now, I don't know if that means grad transfers or if they only hire the four-year guys that kind of went through the, the rigors that they did. I don't know about that. But still, VMI, you've got to put on the uni. you got to live in the barracks. You've got to do the whole ordeal. So that, because I'd ask that question, why is Citadel getting fifth years like that and and, they're, and VMI not? And so I was kind of giving an explanation there. But I, I think the, the, the guards have always had good games. You look at Bo Hodges. He's played the most games. Uh, versus Citadel inbound the roster. He's averaging 15 points, almost eight rebounds, four assists, and averaging 27 minutes a game, shooting 51%. You look at Isaiah Tisdale in two games, he's averaging almost a point a minute. 21 and a half points and 22 minutes played in two games last year. Davian Williamson had a career high 24 points against the Citadel. So uh, you, you look at all those things, and I think ETSU, the guards, as it stands, that doesn't mean the big guys can't go in there and score early, but my guess is. If things aren't going very quickly for Rodriguez, for Goussaint, it could be a, a long day for those guys kind of sitting on the sideline and, and watching some of the smaller guys, some of the guards or forwards, get more playing time. Well, it's interesting how Citadel is playing and how they continued to play throughout, really, uh, my knowledge of them being a program. They're defending the line really, really well this year, just 28% from outside, and, and that, to me, brings an interesting dynamic to this game because ETSU is loaded with shooters, right? I mean, you can have five or six guys go for multiple threes in a game at the least if you look at this roster. And so if they're defending the line really well as they have the entire year, Citadel, then maybe does the game change a bit the other way? So I, I don't know. I, I could see this going a number of different ways considering the fire versus fire outside the arc. I, I certainly don't think that this is going to be a grinded out, uh, go down low type game I don't think that um, if ETSU is going to have success in this game it would be that way you look at the games that ETSU's lost since they returned to the SoCon against Citadel it's been by a combined three points and both of those games were in the high 60s low 70s and every time that the game has gone towards the 90s and 100s which it has five of the eight that ETSU's played against Citadel since returning to the SoCon the Bucks scoring 90 plus in five of those eight it's been a blowout skewing towards ETSU which would make you kind of give some pause and say, well, doesn't Citadel want to play their style of play and go up and down the court? You'd think so, but ETSU seems to always be better at that than Citadel is. I mean, Coach Forbes are averaging winning the games by 15 points, right. and that includes one loss, too, and they're still averaging winning by 15 points a game. So uh, whatever reason, the Bucks have been able to – now, Citadel's also been a little bit of thorn in the side. Some of the junk defenses, some of that things, having just, just trying to keep ETSU off balance. Citadel's done a good job of that, although – the funny thing is they've been better in Freedom Hall at, at keeping the games close. We've had a couple of blowouts. I think one of the four games Coach Forbes has had down there, uh, they had a shot to win it in regulation. Got us missed a layup, right? Two and well, I think it was a three outside the arc, and that was your and the Bucks are going to escape. I think it was a drive inside. Oh, I know. Out. Okay, so so it was a it was a one point game, and a guard went into oh, drive, right. missed so three, it. Yes, the previous did, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, right. I, yeah. but but that all led to that. You're yeah. right, and that was the so same year that look and hit it. that three yeah. from the left wing at Freedom Hall late in the season. That's the other thing. The two wins that Citadel has had against ETSU in the last five, six seasons, whatever it is since the Bucks have been back in the SoCon, have both been late in the conference season. They haven't met this early, it seems like, and obviously it's the one game outside of the usual block of conference play, so it's very obvious that they haven't met this early in quite some time. But the fact that this is coming early on in conference play, the opener of conference play, changes the dynamic, and it seems like when the Bucks don't come out on the right end of these games, maybe they're caught napping late in the conference year, which obviously is not going to happen this time around. Well, if you look at Southern Conference openers too, Coach is right. This is, you know, they've only opened at home one time in his tenure. So it's be the fourth road game. Now they're 3-1 and one in SoCon openers. That loss, obviously, last year, Wofford, that he alluded to in the soundbite earlier. 32 Southern Conference openers, ETSU just 16-15. and 15. But if you mm-hmm. go to 2001-2, the Bucks won seven of the nine SoCon openers. So things certainly have turned uh, a little bit different, at least the last nine contests. But... Uh, you know, this will be a game if you can just get under your, you know, get the win, move on type deal. But they've had good success in that gym. And I, I don't, you know, scoring's not going to be an issue. Will they be able to kind of slow down Citadel, make them, uh, as they've been the new saying, uh, win the game two by two by two 
not give up all the three-point shots. I did have to dive pretty deep into Citadel's roster and recruiting and such to find names I recognize because Lou Stallworth now in Ukraine. Zane Dowie graduated. He's, I think, still on the Jordanian national team. Uh, Matt Frierson and Connor Kern also gone. So that's four of their top five scores from last year, which, again, makes it so important, I think, for Citadel if Hayden Brown can go out two weeks Missed the trip to the Illinois Classic, then at Marist up in Poughkeepsie, uh, and then Brevard. They were back home. Uh, I think that was oh the tornado week. Yeah, the tornado got uh, hit by a tornado themselves. Yeah, sure. It was ninety to forty-seven. So uh, he's missed three games and or make it four because he didn't play or played very briefly against Simo. Um, so a hamstring strain and Brett Lewis was on the trip. Maybe you'll know a bit more about this than myself, but uh, the athletic trainer for UTSC men's basketball, I'm sure it's case by case, but I feel like a couple of weeks is right about where uh, that would be. And the last report I saw on it was I think November 19th. So very interesting to see if he does play um, since he's averaging 17 per game. If not, I think this one could go pretty strong ETSU's way, um, despite the fact that, and Maris doesn't usually present much on the basketball court, but despite the fact that Citadel did win, let's see, three of their four in those last two weeks. Well, yeah, and I, I think Browns, they're not very big in size as usual Citadel, right? Just a bunch of guards running around, and then Dowie's one of the bigger guys they had on the roster, but, but Brown's one of the bigger post players rebounding threats. If he's not there, be curious to see. Uh, if they can hang with ETSU on the glass. Uh, but, again, long shots, long rebounds. So maybe that plays in, in the advantage of some of the, the shorter, quicker players in Citadel. We'll have to wait and see. But, anyways, 6.30, pregame show tonight, 7 o'clock tip, ETSU and the Citadel as the Bucks tap it up to open up the Southern Conference. Lakeland will try to improve to 8-1, and one, which will be the best start under head coach Steve Forbes. Best start in school history, in case you're wondering, 14-1. and one. So still got a ways to go. When was there. that? Uh, the 90-91 season. Wow. So that uh, golden days, yeah, there we go. fourteen and one, pretty stout, ninety ninety one. Yep, I was double check, but it was ninety ninety one. So long way to go. Let's talk Wake Forest women's basketball. You have that call uh, tomorrow, Thursday. We'll talk about that. Correct. Other side, timeout. San Jose Sidekick, Buccaneer Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Sandos and the sidekick back with you. Jay Sandos alongside Mike Gallagher. Don't forget you can download us, SoundCloud, iTunes, subscribe to the RSS feed, and get an update every time we upload a new show. Haven't done that in a while, but that's how you do it. Women's you haven't basketball. uploaded a show in a while? Is that what you're saying? I haven't, haven't? plugged oh, okay. how you can do it. Like, we, like we've certainly uploaded the shit. I hope so. I hope you. Don't make me feel like I'm. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't ever do, double check. I don't even know how to do the, the Twitter thing. No, so, yeah. A struggle, as right. you know. Yeah. Let's talk a little women's hoops. You'll, uh, tomorrow night, Brooks Gym. It's Wake Forest. They've got uh, at least a couple of teams at ETSU can maybe look at. One, uh, UNC Greensboro. I mean, certainly a conference opponent. They know mm-hmm. what's going there. Elon, and not, not that they've played Elon, but Elon has played some opponents that they've played. So I think you can kind of look. And I know score comparisons aren't exact science, right? It doesn't mean anything really in the, the scheme of the world. But I do think it can give you a little bit of insight of maybe where things stack up to begin with. But... You know, Wake Forest got off to a pretty decent start to the year, a couple of wins, then all of a sudden three losses in a row, including Greensboro, Charlotte, St. John's, and sort of ride the ship against an Elon team that's down in the CAA and a win against uh, East Carolina on Saturday and a little bit of break. Same break ETSU has, play Saturday, don't go again until Thursday. It's a very interesting couple of years that this team has had because you look back to last year and it's 10-21 and 21 and 1-15 and in the ACC, right? And you're like, wow, that is truly, truly terrible. But you look at what happened going into that season and during the season for the Demon Deacons, it was almost impossible to navigate around. And you're not going to draw any sympathy from Coach Zell or the Bucks because they're 
going with nine healthy bodies once again going into tomorrow night against Wake Forest. But Ariel Stevenson was a thousand point scorer for Wake Forest going into her senior year tears her shoulder up, has to have surgery out for the year, and then doesn't come back for the redshirt season, goes to George Washington instead for her graduate season. Uh, Your other two leading scorers, aside from her, Alex Sharp, she was coming off of shoulder surgery in the offseason, missed the first five games, then broke her hand during the year, so she only played in 15 games. And then Elisa Pena was also someone that played only 15 games, and she was the other leading scorer. So really your top three offensive options missed either the entire season or significant time, and that obviously left Wake Forest in a very tough situation. Going to be tough for any team to bounce back from that. This year they're 4-3, and three, and they've got Sharp back, and she's playing well, 12 points, 9 rebounds per game so far. Ivana Rocca is someone that's stepped up and taken over that scoring lead with Stevenson gone, 15 points and 6 rebounds. She uh, looks very strong strong coming into this contest and is one of the shooters ETSU is going to have to watch out for. She's taking four and a half threes a game and she's making them at like 30%. Someone that's making it at a much higher percentage is Gina Conti, who last year made only 26% of her threes, 53% from beyond the arc this year. So ETSU, it's going to be very important to go out and guard at the perimeter. It's not a team that's going to take a ton of threes like a high point, which made 16 out of 42. And even a Davidson to an extent, they don't take as many but they also seem to hit a lot of the ones that they take. I think they were 8 for 19 against the Bucks. So they have to be sure to go out and guard the outside, but they also have to make sure that they match up inside. Ana Udo is someone that has been very strong inside for the last couple of years. She's really grown in her progression for Wake Forest, and this year is shooting 67% from the field, 32 of 48, and she's an inside threat in terms of defensively as well, blocking a lot of shots. She's grabbing seven rebounds a game, and that's doing all of that in just 20 minutes or so per game. So there are some offensive options, and Wake Forest really has separated themselves from last year's team, not only in the fact that they're healthy, but the fact that they can really crash the glass. They're plus 17. They're very much like ETSU men's basketball this time last year. Plus 17 on the boards after last year being a middle-of-the-pack ACC team on the glass. Plus 17. So ETSU is once again going to have to be strong on in terms of rebounding the ball in that facet of the game. And they've been kind of up and down in terms of that this year. Well, you stole my thunder. I was getting ready to harp on rebounding because I looked that stat up too. But I was also going to point to they were plus 18 against UNCG. And you look at the stats against UNCG, and the Spartans won by two, but you look at a lot of stats. They were out-rebounded by 18. They shot almost 10 points less field goal percentage. You know, they made a couple more threes, but not enough to really warrant anything. The free-throw shooting numbers were similar. They were 16 of 24. Wake Forest was 16 of 28. So without going back and, like, watching some of the things, the numbers didn't point to a win really for UNCG and a lot of the numbers, but it looks like they just gritted it out. Now, when you get 26 from Nadine Solomon, that certainly helps, right? She's a stud. Yeah, and six rebounds. And then you look at uh, um, Twitty had 11 and 7. So you combine those. And that's a team that returns a lot of players from oh, last yeah. year too, UNCG. But 37 and 13 from, from two ladies, and, and, and they're two ladies they've relied on a lot. I think that that proves, you know, they can hang in there. But Wake Forest is an odd team because last year they came out of the gates on fire, including a Mercer team. And then those injuries. Yeah, and then all of a sudden they go 1-15 in league plays, you said. You look at some of the, the losses in this year's team, up and down again. I mean, uh, maybe I'm wearing some glasses here. I think it's a, you know, a, a winnable game if you can do three things. I think one clearly got to try to manage the glass. I don't know that you can win the rebounding war. But I think if you can keep that to a manageable, maybe, I don't know if I'm making it up, five, six rebounds, something like that. ETSU was phenomenal getting to the free throw line, even against Tennessee. I think if they can continue and shoot the numbers they did last game, if they can get to the free throw line and shoot the numbers. And then the third thing is they need to find a one-two punch on that day. It doesn't have to be the one-two punch moving forward, but they need to have more than one person put up uh, some numbers. I don't, I don't necessarily – you know, need two career days, you know, but if Lee Stafford gets 15, let's say Mikey Sheets throws 15 on the board. I'm just making that up. But if you get two ladies to put, you know, a couple of nice outings together at the same time, those three things to me in ETSU would have a shot. I'll be interested to see how ETSU reacts to a game like this at home with this current squad that they have, because I think oftentimes when you have, let's say a player like Tiana Tartar, you saw her rise to the occasion a lot against the Michigan States and the Cincinnati's over the uh, latter couple of years of her career. And you've got someone like Erica Haynes Overton that's on the court, people that 
when you look mentally how they enter those games, they're usually in just shove mode. Go in like, I should be at a Power 5 program. I know I'm more talented than a lot of these girls. Look what Erica did against Tennessee. I mean, 41-10 and 7, and she told me before the game, look, I'm going to be the most athletic one. She exudes a different kind of confidence in those games. And whether it's feeding off, say, the crowd of Tennessee, it's not the first time that Erica has had a big game like that. So I don't think it's that. I just think it's entering the game in a certain mindset. Now, they don't have Erica Haynes-Overton, right? And there haven't been a ton of players on this team that have had significant success on the floor for ETSU or at a very high level if you're talking some of the transfers. While they've been very successful at the community college level or different schools around the country, whatever the case may be, but in the place they're at now, and what the case is for the majority of the players at this level, they haven't had that type of success. So do they believe, much like Erica Haynes-Overton, much like Tiana Tartar, do they know going into the game, look, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to absolutely show these coaches, show these players, and show anyone that's here that has any question, whether I can play at this level or not, that I can undoubtedly and that I should be at one of these places. I'm not sure that with the group that's going to trot out there on Thursday night that that's ingrained in their mind and instilled in their mind because they haven't had the success to show that, right? You've got Shania Jackson who had 19 against Appalachian State and she was really quiet, played like 11 minutes. Tiana Kimbrough, she's been kind of up and down uh, when it comes to her production. When she's at her best, I think there's no doubt that she can go out there and put up big numbers, especially if she's on the floor 20 or 25 minutes. And that's actually someone I think could be a big difference maker in this game. Micah Sheets, we've seen her have some struggles against Power 5 teams just based off of matchup. Elise Stafford's coming off, you know, three consecutive games in double digits, so if she can have another effort like she has over the last few games, that'll really help. Kaya Upton is coming off a bad shooting night, but she's still distributing and still getting herself involved offensively that way. So I think that with an Erica Haynes-Overton, with a Tiana Tartar, you know a little bit more what you're getting going in. Um, And yes, there are exceptions. It does vary sometimes from game to game, but when you have the collection, I think there needs to be someone to step up, and it can't be Erica because she's not going to be on the court. Someone to step up, look at her teammates once they're out there and say, hey, just because they're in the ACC, the top-rated conference from last year in all of the NCAA, doesn't mean that we don't belong in the same court with them and really rally the troops that way. So if I threw this at you, if I say, okay, Kimbrough gets you what she did the other night, double-double or near-double-double, I say Stafford goes for 14. Sheets goes for 14. I say 10 points, 5 assists for Kaya Upton. Got a shot, right? Great chance and and, and I'm that's not crazy numbers, right? I'm not asking a lot. Very reasonable. But you you just need two or three people to give you this that same effort in this game. I don't think you need anyone to go crazy, but I think you need like you said three or four people to be solid to very You either need somebody like Sheets to go for 30. Right. Or, or you need three or four people to play their game. I think that's the key. They're still trying to get this team wrapped around on what we are, right? And if they're if they're in the locker room, what are what can we do? What what is almost like you look at somebody and say, okay, what's your role tonight? What are you doing tonight? What are you doing? What do you expect? And and just kind of pointing at everybody and saying, if you rattled off some of those simple numbers again, I know the game's not that simple. Yeah, I know it's probably going to be tougher for Kimbrough against some of the ACC athletes. They're going to have a little more size. It's it's certainly going to be a little tougher maybe for Stafford, uh, sort of that post player that kind of roams around as a stretch four or whatever you want to describe her as. And So I, I know there's going to be some things there, but you know if they don't get crushed on the glass, they don't get off to a slow start, I think that's maybe another thing we haven't touched on. If they don't go to a slow start and they just don't have – they don't have anybody have a night off or a bad night, then – you can win the game. I think Wake Forest is a team that is ripe for the picking. And just, and I think that's you know for Tennessee, we would have sat here and said, okay, for the Bucks have a shot. Eric Haynes Overton has to go bonkers, and that would probably be a fair assessment. She did go bonkers, and they should have yeah, won the sure, game. Yeah. They should have won the game. So I I think it's fair to sit here and say objectively to say nobody takes a night off of the of the four. Right or is taken out. I don't want to say that. I don't, you could still play hard and and it not be your night. But we, I don't think each issue can afford. You know, I don't think they can afford Upton, Stafford, certainly Sheets, and throw another one there. Kimbrough or Jackson. Kimbrough or Jackson. Either one of the one. two bigs. Yeah. And even even if you want to look at this one, and say okay, can they give you a combined sixteen and ten? And do it that way. So okay, maybe you give me 
10 points and you only gave me 6 points, but you gave me 8 rebounds, you gave me 4 rebounds. Can you, can you figure out a way to divvy it up that way? They also have to realize that while Wake Forest is out of the ACC, it is a team that does not have a history of success. I mean, they've made one NCAA tournament. They've got one winning conference season in their program's history in the ACC. And Jen Hoover, who is the head coach, has been there eight years, was around for that. She was, in 1988, one of the stars. She's a 1,700-point scorer, 1,000-rebounder, 1,000-rebound getter in her career, um, and is a member of their Hall of Fame. She was on a lot of different places before, before she came back to Wake Forest, so she was there for that she knows what it takes she's seen those teams that have had success at Wake Forest but considering that long history and it's over 40 years and the lack of postseason appearances at the highest level they have made the WNIT the last couple of years and that is significant progress for them so it's not like but that being said you're also going to look at some computer numbers when you're picking the WNIT and be like oh okay the RPI it's top one in the ACC is you know the top rated so you're going to take more likely than not a lot of ACC teams and whether Wake Forest is up to that grade year in year out or not is certainly of debate but it's not a team that is going to be projected anywhere but bottom two or three anywhere you look they're bottom in the preseason coaches poll in the ACC so like you said don't get freaked out or scared that you look across and it's Wake Forest an ACC team and there's a lot of big bodies these are not going to be the most skilled people that you see all year you know, Davidson, I think, would either give Wake Forest a really good game or beat them outright. I think Tennessee would absolutely wipe the floor with Wake Forest. Uh, and you look at UNCG that already beat Wake Forest. They're having a pretty good year. I mean, UNCG was projected as a bottom three or four team in this league. So take a look at the results. Don't get overwhelmed. And this is where I think some coaching comes in. And we'll see how Coach Zell approaches this contest. But I would do exactly what you said. Go in the locker room pregame look around and say what job are you going to do today what job are you going to do today everybody just do that and it doesn't matter who's on the other side of you because this group as a collective with or without erica haynes overton as long as they're in the right mind state are capable of getting this done i I think that's that's it if you could just say all right what are you going to give me tonight good do that no don't need superman out of you right coaches said that before you don't need to be a superhero right don't need to be wonder woman just give me that you know if this is what you're going to give me give me that you give me that you give me that Five, six people do that. And, again, I think you've hit it on the head. The last point I would say, UNC Greensboro, who you feel pretty good about your matchup with them, that you split last year. They got a lot of people back. You got a lot of things going on. You still feel pretty good about beating them now. Use that as a barometer. And they did that on the road, right? So you get them at home. So you should have a little bit of an advantage there. So that's going to be Thursday, 7 o'clock, 6.30 pregame. Mike Gallagher on the call, ETSU versus Wake Forest. When we come back, mystery segment, I guess, after this time out to word from San Jose Buccaneers Sports Network. An inside look at Buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday nights all season long, Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz, live from Wild Wing Cafe at 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a 6 o'clock start as Forbes and Azell field your questions, reflect on results, and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show, every Wednesday at 6, right here on WXSM AM 640, The Sports Monster. I got 22 excuses, 11 on my offense and 11 on my defense. Our red zone defense is like Oprah, like you get a touchdown, you get a touchdown, you get a touchdown. We tried to recruit bigger, better players to come play for us, but they went to good schools. We got a bunch of mama's boys right now, and uh, we just won't buck up and bore an axe, and we gotta get through that. We couldn't do diddly poo offensively. Mike, why are you in such a bad mood? What do you care? If you were two and seven, you'd be in a bad mood too. Hello? You play to win the game. I just hope we can win a game. Well, we didn't block him, but we made up for it by not tackling. Oh, John McKay. Ben Wallace and Mo Williams fell down more than a baby learning to walk. I hope what this is, because I know we're teasing everyone with Crazy Coach. Firstly, it's great to hear the bumper again, because I absolutely love it. But secondly, I hope this is a bat signal to real Crazy Coach, because unfortunately, no, Crazy Coach He has been MIA for a while. He has been. He and a lot of our guests from last year. Did they hate us? No? What did you do? I, I, well, first of all, I, I'm afraid to get angry man yeah, on for the simple reason that how angry is he going to be that we've not 
talked to him mm. in so long. That's and a vicious circle bend. right there. So yeah, I don't. I kind of don't want that. Uh, Lando probably is the least of the group that's fired up, my guess. Okay, that's good. Uh, I guess. I don't know. I haven't talked to him. Have you so talked you, to him? You've just cut off complete contact with every guest we had last well, week. Well, I don't have to deal with it. No. Well, we'll have a coming <laughs> okay, on. Right. I, don't, I, don't I, see. I mean, my name's on the show. Remember Sidekick? Yeah. Yeah. People get mad at me. Yeah, exactly. You're, so you're, you do have to deal with it. Yeah. You're just, you know, I just sit over here and be the producer and, you know, I'm yeah, exactly. nothing wrong. Well, these are your friends. I mean, I don't I don't have any. Well, that's, that's loose. That's loose <laughs> term. Okay, acquaintances. Right. Yeah, yeah okay. there we go. There you go. All right. What do we got? So so crazy coach segment without crazy coach. Are me and you going to break down crazy coaching? Well, I'm going to give it just, more towards you because right. I'm just the producer. Um, so I'm going to play the bites <laughs> and uh, let well you played. go ahead and react. Uh, firstly, and this one is very geared towards things that would be in your wheelhouse, and I'm happy to be able to play this one. This is Jim Harbaugh, or John Harbaugh. It's, it's Jim, right? The Mi- Michigan one? I don't know. Jim. Yeah. Uh, after yet another defeat to Ohio State. Is this a talent gap? Is it a preparation gap? Is it a coaching gap? What is the biggest difference between you and Ohio State at this point? I mean, I'll answer your questions, not your insults. So They played really good. They played good. Jim, I know you're a competitor. I know you want to win every game. This is a game you haven't won yet. How, how much does that affect you? And how badly do you want to win this eventually? Yeah, really, we, want, we really want to win the game. Yes. You personally. Yeah. So I love how the reporter goes back in and says, wait, you personally want to win it? Like, well, yeah, this is my profession. This is my job. This is my team. He went to Michigan. Do you, and if nothing else, you could just say that. If The only defense I would give is that one is just saying he played in that game. And I'm assuming that guys that played in those games still, feel, whether they're a coach or not, still feel that way about the game itself. The first part that that's ooh, that's just sour grapes right there. I mean, I mean, I I didn't as a, and I'm going to use the term journalist loosely from from what they do and what we do, but sometimes you do have to ask questions that, that you don't even post game. You're like, all right, I, you know, that coach getting ejected. Like, well, coach, I, I do my job. If I don't at least say, Hey, <laughs> kind of what happened, throw it out there. So, uh, I mean, I didn't think that was that bad of a question. What, you know, and again, he's just lost and not lost. He got throttled again. So I, I don't know what was going on there. I mean, he could have easily said, you know, we're just, we're just not there yet. Is it a talent gap? Is it a preparation gap? Is it a coaching gap? What is the biggest difference between I think coaching two, gap got him. <laughs> two of those, two of those were coaching related, preparation, correct, and coaching. I think that's what got him, and why he took it maybe a little more personal than than what maybe it was intended to do, also, or maybe it was meant to be personal. I don't know. Also, am I going to cut is out? Is it a talent uh, gap? Is it a preparation gap? Is it a coaching gap? What is the biggest difference between you and Ohio State at this point? I mean, I'll answer your questions, not your insults. I'm going to definitely cut that out and use that for the show. I will answer your questions, but not your insults, Jay Sandoz. Yeah, that's all right. All right, so what else are you talking to say about Jim? Well, how many uh, losses in a row now is it to Ohio Five. State, Michigan fan? Five, that's it? Mm-hmm. Feels like forever. For, oh, for Jim. It's more than that if you're talking about overall. Mm, yeah, overall. That's all you mind. Yeah. <laughs> You've lost count at this point. I don't know. Ben, so ben Parrish will tweet me here in a second. This is Mike Leach. Well, we certainly have before. We certainly have before. We didn't win this one, and I don't care to have a big discussion with you on it because I really don't care what you think. Woo! You know, and you run your mouth in your little old column and stuff like uh, uh, some, some sanctimonious troll. Oh, buddy. And uh, where, you know, you've never been fair or even-handed with us, so I really don't care what you think. Okay, go ahead, because you're going to write some nasty... Uh, stuff anyway, like you always do. And I don't know which coog way back when did something that offended you. And I really don't care about that either. But you can live your little meager, meager life in your little hole and write <laughs> nasty things. And if that makes you feel even, you go right ahead. Okay, uh, next. Firstly, please spell sanctimonious I, for me. I, I, <laughs> there's so much to go there with the insults that came flying. Now, again, I don't know. That, that, that was basically a softer I'm a man it's 40 I felt like at some point right he's usually so chill too he's very yeah, much he, Bill Walton school of thought like and, let's and just sit back and relax you, and have fun you man. say something and hammer him and he, he just turns it around into a history lesson about pirates or something like that's sort of the guy he is so to have him just go bonkers on that was and I mean they got to the point where it just name calling <laughs> to another level right yeah, he went from troll to to go back to your hole in the uh your little room and a hole in the wall to 
you know, I don't know who did something bad. Do you get over it? To the, I mean, it was, I don't care if you're even alive, basically, at some point in time. I mean, that was, man, he was fired up. And, again, you know, we talk about this all the time, and it's, it's funny. Coaches like, you know, block out the noise, don't read any of this, don't do whatever. And then all of a sudden, boom, you get a couple coaches. That, well, how do you know that he's written all that stuff if you don't read it? So, apparently, Coach Leach has read a bunch of his stuff. And sometimes, let's be honest, there are guys out there, and there are fans out there, I think they would agree that there are poison pen guys that are just looking to write a negative column. I, I remember when we when I worked uh, in the Gainesville Cala market and Mike Bianchi was working for Orlando Sentinel, he still may be doing it, uh, he may have moved up, but the Florida fans always thought that Mike Bianchi was picking on them and he was always writing things that would only write about a player getting arrested and would never write about somebody working in a children's hospital or whatever. They always felt like he was going if, – if Florida won by 70, but they threw two incomplete passes, his first question was what happened on the two incomplete passes. <laughs> like, they just felt like he was picking on them. And it feels like that's the same thing that Mike Leach is like. Every time I tune in, doesn't matter if we win or lose, you're like, well, they won by 30, but – or whatever it is coming. And that's what it felt like to me. And it might have been three, four years of frustration all balled up into one simple Which question. is probably what it was. Absolutely. And I think that it was Ben Paris that sent us this one on Twitter about Mike Leach and compared it to Steve Forbes and his similar tone, I'd say, to a media member about uh, seven or eight months ago. I don't think this is quite on that level because Coach Forbes went in. Uh, But this is John Blanchett from the Spokesman Review in Spokane. So clearly John Blanchett and Mike Leach not getting along so well. And it sounded like with... Did you read the article after all that went down? From John Blanchett? Yeah. No, did you? No, I want to now. Oh, I bet it's just I want to now. I want to... Would I get... So is it fiery... Did he not write one because his editors were just like, eh, you probably shouldn't conflict interest emotion, sit this one out and maybe decompress? Or did he write completely the opposite and say, finally Mike Leach spoke up because I've been jabbing at this guy as a sanctimonious troll for the last three years or however long it's been? I'm very curious. And also, it just sounds like you're trying to avoid spelling sanctimonious with all this talk. Of course I am. Okay. I think the other thing is you look at a situation where did the – Clearly, Leach got personal. You know, that's kind of rule number one, right? This is business one way or another. I'm here to do my job, ask my questions. I'm, I'm here to do whatever. But when you, he talked about columns, right? So columns is the opinion piece yep. of that. So you write a game story and you write a column. And a lot of people do that. And, and I don't want to insult everybody's intelligence on how that works, but that that's sort of what happens, right? So for the John City Press, just for an example, Joe Vento is going to write a game story. And then in the same paper, he's going to write a column, an opinion piece on kind of what went on. The opinion piece is what he's talking about. So whatever that guy's opinion has been written down several times is clearly not in line with what Mike Leach is thinking. And I'll say this about the question, if you heard the very start of it. So you're not supposed to beat teams that have higher-ranked recruiting classes? Well, it's a little condescending. So you well, lost to what, Washington, but you're not supposed to beat teams with higher-ranked recruiting classes? Uh, that's a little bit condescending. And, and I don't know what was said before that. Because right. Sound like that was a follow-up. Sound like he had asked Definitely. Leach a question. Leach responded, probably being a smart aleck at that point in time, clear. And then he followed up, not knowing any better, well, being a smart aleck back, and he got the wrong day, and he got the business end of that. Now it's going to live, uh, you know, in infamy on our infamy, show. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and this was after the Apple Cup, the last game of the year for Washington in the regular, or Washington State in the regular season. They lost, and – I think that this is just a tough year for Washington State in general as well. Six and six, where they were projected to be a lot better than they ended up being. So, from that standpoint as well, the fact that it's been a season's worth of uh, letdowns, I think, for uh, Mike Leach and company probably didn't help matters. Here's number three on Chris Coach. How important is this game? It's yes. huge. I mean, I mean, it's it's huge from a national standpoint because obviously, if we lose this game, I mean, they're gonna kick us out. They don't want us in there anyway. Uh, I mean, we'd be we'd be we'd drop to twenty. You know, I mean, Georgia loses to this very same team, and the very next day it's how do we keep Georgia in it? We win to the team that beat South Carolina, you meant and it's we. How do we get Clemson out? I mean, we gotta we gotta go under. We gotta go thirty and zero. I mean, That's we ain't got no choice. <laughs> but we don't play nobody. Dabo Sweeney from yeah, Clemson. and I'll say this: uh, this was after the South Carolina win, correct? And, and yes, yeah. yes, this is right after the South Carolina win, which they throttled them again. And, I, you know, 
you try to schedule different, you know, and these things are done so far in advance, right? And some of this, and the, the your league is sort of what your league is, right? Whether you like it or not. And, but Clemson's only had one quote unquote bad game, and Mac Brown, give him credit, tried to win the game on a two point conversion, didn't get it, lost oh. by one. Killing my to Clemson. Yeah. Other than that, Clemson has absolutely hammered, hammered everybody. And all the talk over the last couple of years was, well, you know, we'll see when they get in the playoffs. Well, now they've won two out of three. Well, we'll see. I mean, last year there were people, and again, we live in SEC country. There were people like, oh my gosh, Alabama. I mean, Clemson. I mean, I mean, who do they, they beat Virginia or something? I mean, they're gonna lose by a thousand or something. And then, of course, Clemson ended up jumping on Alabama early and winning that one pretty good. And three years ago was also a shocker when they were able to to beat Alabama on sort of a last second play. So I mean, one, two out of three. They're they're rocking and rolling. I mean, if you're winning games by 40, and, and if, no one can get over the North Carolina game, and I, I get it, but eventually it's going to work itself out. This is why I'm an FCS guy. We all know that. I, and I've never been a fan of big boy 1A football for lots of reasons, but this is one of them because the easiest way to settle all this is you get in a playoff, and I'm not talking four teams where they're – because here's my issue, and and I used to argue with, with your your guy, Jacob Townsend, on this show. I would argue him because he would say, well, they got it right because Alabama Clips are the best two teams in the country. I'm not arguing that those two teams aren't the best two teams in the country. The problem is, I think, when you try to pick the fourth best team, Utah, Oklahoma, good example, how do you know who's better? I mean, how how do you know? Woo, I te- well, what does that mean? How many times have we said an eye test? Because everyone, why do they have favorites, right? And why does Vegas run all these numbers and those guys don't win? You know, why do you have all that? So my argument is, how do you know that that fourth-place team was the fourth-place team that could have played Alabama or somebody better? That That's my biggest argument is, like, how do you – all this eye test, all this – because the scheduling is not equal. In the NFL, they do as much as they can, and they play more games, but they do as much as they can to get as much of the schedule done, and then there's six teams in. But they play more games, or they, they figure it out. FCS, like, hey, man, those schedules are not equal. We're getting 24 teams in, we go. Every other division of every other level of every other football in the history that's ever played has a playoff format as peewee all the way up to high school to every level of NCAA, but the big boy football. And it's not Alabama's Clemson fault. I think they would welcome a full playoff at this point because they don't really care. They're going to be in all the time. It's all those six and six coaches seven and five coaches that want to go to a bowl game so they don't get fired and that they get to keep the bowl money. It's all about money. It's not about the best team. So this is why I agree with Dabo. Get over it. He's undefeated. Somebody beat him. Isn't Dabo a bit crazy, though, to say they're trying to find a way to kick me out when you've been in four straight college football playoffs, four of the five? That well, let me ask you this. I mean, if he would have lost that, if he lost that game, I think he's right. Georgia didn't fall as far as what they would have dropped Clemson. And it's all because of the perception of the league. Right or wrong is the perception of the league. But also it's because Georgia's played a better schedule, right? They've got bigger wins. I, so they would, again, it's, it's perception of the league, I, I think, go, goes into that. I just think I it's mean, computer numbers, quite honestly. I just think the quality of opponent, quote-unquote, however you want to calculate that, and we go on all day about this, but, but quote-unquote. Here, here's what I want to say. Better so, for Georgia than the SEC. If, if Clemson lost to North Carolina, and they were in a one-loss conversation. Mm-hmm. Do you think they're better in Oklahoma? Do I think they're better than Oklahoma? Yeah. If they would have lost to Carolina, do you think they're well, better than Oklahoma? Tough. That's tough. Do you think they're better in Utah? Oh, yes. Do you think the Pac-12 is they're difficult. better than Georgia? That's uh, tough. I mean, they would have lost Carolina, but they just hammered South Carolina, who beat Georgia at Georgia. Uh, that's what I'm saying. How do you know? That's my argument. How do you know? You can easily say, "Well, I think they're better." Well, who? What? Let's play. How about we play the game? Can we get Herm? <laughs> can we get Herm? You play to win. Let, why can't we just play? Why? Why can't we just play? This is why we need a playoff expansion, and it needs to be eight teams, like we talked about last year, and we were in agreement on that. Was it eight or six that we agreed uh, on? I, I, either one's fine. I, either one. Okay. Either okay. Last bite. Yeah. This is Jim Beheim, your guy. You never want to play the league games early. That's stupid. Perfect timing. It's just a money grab. They got scheduled games for TV, for the TV contract, so you got to play games early, and then somebody had the brilliant idea of opening up the first game with a league game. I, I just don't think it's good. I don't think it's smart, but that's just what happens when you go to 20 games and somebody wants you to play early. Great time oh, okay. about oh. league play. So when he takes the money 
to go play in the EA Sports Classic in Anaheim last year to open up the season where he took a check. Don't call it a money grab. That's not a money grab? That's <laughs> not a money, money grab. grab? It's a business. That's all business is, is a money grab. Exactly. So I don't understand what the difference is. If your league says, by gosh, you're going to play on this date, this time, everybody else in America, now maybe they don't all open up with it, but I don't understand. Like, don't call it a money grab. Just say, I think it's unfair that we open up with a conference game. And just leave it at that. And most people would go, yeah, nobody else is really doing that. I, I, you would just go with it. I, I don't think that, that would be a problem. I think the issue was when he said money grab. What are you talking about? You you play all these other games for money. You, you know you why go- it's a money grab? Because they scored 34 points that night against Virginia. That's why he wanted to call it a money grab. <laughs> Our team wasn't ready because it's a money grab weakest, because we're playing so early. He, and he really has some of the weakest crab baby arguments of all time. 34 points. It is your job to get your team ready. Don't say it's because it's early in the season that it's a conference game. We shouldn't have played conference so early. Like, you would have lost to a lot of teams scoring 34 points that night, not just Virginia. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Jim. You didn't get to make an extra 100000 to go play in Madison Square Garden against, you know, Marquette or something. I think everyone has Poor Jim. an understanding that Power 5 basketball and football is about money. And the fact that Jim's been around it for how many years now, decades and decades and decades, and is still bitter about it being a money grab, a bit confusing me. He also complained several years ago when they had to play George Washington in D.C. that the folks that seeded George Washington at 13 should know there's a shot they could have got and played in D.C. Wow. Jim Bayham, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Buccaneer. Wow. Wow. See you Friday. Wow, wow. See ya.